listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast, episode 256, Alice in Wonderland. It's a hookah, not a crack pipe. Know your drugs. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive into to today's episode. Hey there, animation addicts. I am your host, Chelsea Robson. And I'm Morgan Stradling. And we have a very special guest today, Mr. Jonathan North. Hey. Hey, hey. Jonathan has been a longtime contributor and wrote a writer to our website, rotoscopers.com. He does a ton of reviews, all sorts of really fun stuff. And he has been on my list to have on the podcast for such a long time. And one of the main reasons is he is a big Alice in Wonderland super fan. Particularly, he has watched every single iteration and variation of Alice in Wonderland that's out there. Nice. So this is the not, perfect not quite, show. But, but getting close. <laughs> I'm, I'm working towards it. Well, you've watched more There's than me. There's so many. There's so, so many. <laughs> so, John, introduce yourself and uh, let the listeners know who you are. Well, I'm Jonathan North. I guess I'm a podcaster. <laughs> and I'm kind of a podcaster because of you guys. And you guys, I think I've, I've said this before, but you guys were the first podcast I ever listened to. <gasps> wow. I want to say back in 2012, maybe. It's been forever ago. Story checks out. The, I, I don't even know how I found you. I think I probably was just doing a Google search for something animation related and mm-hmm. found your podcast and... I've loved podcasts ever since. and That's awesome. I eventually started writing for you guys in 2015, and I eventually met Rachel Wagner. Mm-hmm. And the great Rachel Wagner. We she, love her. She had me on her podcast 2016, maybe, may, or either that or early 2017. And I talked about how I, I liked the idea of doing a podcast, and she basically prodded me into finally starting something of my own i started a youtube channel and then that turned into a podcast and now i have two podcasts and i'm trying to i'm trying to start two more i i want to eventually have my own animation podcast but i've been so busy lately (laughs) that i haven't started it yet but i'm still i'm still trying to do my two podcasts including one that i have called every version ever which started because i started reviewing every version ever of alice in wonderland Mm mm-hmm that's that's kind of how everything started was not it didn't start start with Alice in Wonderland but that was one of the first reviews I did because again Rachel Wagner told me that I should do a video I think it was on the the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland cuz I liked it and she didn't she wondered why mm. <laughs> so I made a video <laughs> and then I was thinking I know that there's one from 1999 that I love starring Tina Margarino and I was like I'll I'll do a video on that and then I I knew there was a couple more. I was like, "There's a few versions of Alice in Wonderland. I'll do I'll do like a little mini series and talk about all of them." Well, little did I know, <laughs> there are so so many versions of Alice in Wonderland. Oh gosh! And I have not gotten to all of them. And it's now five years later. And this month <laughs> this month is the five year anniversary of my YouTube channel. Wow! And Woo! Congrats! <laughs> I have 
I've done so many versions of Alice in Wonderland, and there's still more to go. Wow. So you are definitely an expert, more so than each of us. So it'll be interesting to hear your take on the different versions that exist out there and and what you think of this version. So that is what our episode is about today. So let's jump right into it. All right, before we get started, we want to give you some basic information about this movie. The movie is called Alice in Wonderland, the studio's Walt Disney Animation Studios. Directors Clyde Geronimi, Wilfred Jackson, and Hamilton Lusky. Wow, those were all tongue twisters for me. The release date for this movie was September 14th, 1951. Budget was $3 million. And then the box office, they have a few here. In 1951, when it was released, it did $2.4 million in the box office. But as of 1974, $3.5 million. So that's the most updated number. I imagine it has done more than that. But it was actually pretty surprising to me that this wasn't necessarily a huge hit for, for Disney. So what are your first thoughts about this film? Was this a film that you grew up watching? I don't remember the first time I watched this. I know I watched it when I was younger. I'm sure it was one we borrowed from the library because back then we didn't own hardly any Disney movie. We didn't own hardly any VHSs at all. We owned Pinocchio and Aladdin and that was it. Nice. (laughs) We borrowed a lot from the library. I'm sure this is one we borrowed from the library. And... I remember liking it. I don't remember it being one that really stuck with me. I think I've mm-hmm. I think I've only liked it more as I've become an adult and just started liking Alice in Wonderland as a story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is probably of all the ones that I've seen, this is probably one of the best. Mainly because the animation is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. And I it's it's all it's all for reasons that I don't think I would have thought of when I was a kid. Like I liked it well enough when I was younger, but it didn't really stick with me as a kid. So most of the, most of the, my reasons for liking it are the animation and probably voice actors too. We had this on VHS, but I'm pretty sure the only reason we had it was to complete the package. Uh, Cause that was the goal <laughs> at the time. And I think I really have only maybe watched it one time and my poor parents for spending so much money on so many VHSs that I probably only ever watched one time. But <laughs> like, I feel like it, it makes up for it for all the other movies that we watched multiple times, but it, but it's fine. I did not remember enjoying this. And I, I'm pretty sure I had to like start and stop as a kid or maybe even just like go get something to eat and come back. Like I wasn't able to stick through it. Yeah, so this movie is one that I never really saw growing up. I rem- I'm aware of it, and I definitely saw it a few times, but my mom hated this movie, so it wasn't <laughs> one that she was going to buy. She would always say, you know, uh, Alice in Wonderland, that was Lewis Carroll. He was on an opioid dream, and blah, blah, blah. And she just had this <laughs> bias against Alice in Wonderland because it was so wacky and crazy that she did not want us to watch it. And... I will say, I guess a little bit of that bias did rub off on me that I just never really loved Alice in Wonderland. Now, that that being said, the whole, oh, this was an opioid dream that he had, you know, when he did drugs, that has not been substantiated in all of his journals and all of his writings. It doesn't seem that he had drugs, did drugs at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so that is something to clear the record of. So mom, I need to tell her, <laughs> hey, mom, that's 
quit quit telling these lies <laughs> most of the nonsense it all has meaning but it's meaning that it's almost lost to history unless you actually study it like mm-hmm. like you're going to school you have to study his life where he was i forget half the stuff that i read about it because it's just so dense almost mm-hmm. like every character is almost every character is based on specific people in his life that he was either around or knew of like the dodo is him alice is a little girl that he knew he he worked at christchurch which is a college of oxford and the dean of christchurch had three daughters and the three daughters and him maybe their father and another friend i'm not sure who all was on they always talk about the boat ride but i think there was multiple trips during like on the weekends or whatever they were and probably punting down the the thames that's what that's what they do <laughs> he he would tell these stories to entertain the girls and he put them into it alice the main one is alice of course but the other two daughters are in there i believe the eaglet and the lorry i'm I can't remember which what the names of the little girls are that those are named after, but they're in. He put everybody that they knew, so the kids would know the, who these characters mm. are. Mm-hmm. And he also put in stuff after the fact because Alice later on begged him to actually write these down because these were all just stories that he told them, and she begged him to like make this into an actual book. So he put even more stuff in it, like puns, math, all kinds of just random stuff all from his life and again it's uh, unless you're like studying it to figure out what each thing means it just it seems like nonsense i mean it is kind of nonsense anyways as a story but that's half (laughs) the fun of it like i like it because it's so weird and half of it doesn't make sense that just that appeals to me i know it does not appeal to everyone and that's fine because different people have different likes different strokes for different folks yeah i just (laughs) i like the weirdness and even if it didn't have meaning i would still like it but it's more interesting to me because I know it does have meaning. You just have to find out what the meaning is. Mm-hmm. So have you read the book? Oh, yeah. Okay. I was reading yeah. the book tonight to get re- to get ready for this. Just trying to, because like, I feel like I don't know enough. I need to, re- I need to brush up on this. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to, to put that label on you. <laughs> no, but that's, that's fine. You're, you're not, more so than me. You. <laughs> the, it's just one of those things, like I've done so many that people are like, oh, you must just know everything. And I guess I do know more than the average person, but Mm -hmm. there's just so much in the books that I feel like I forget half of it. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I haven't read the book. I really would. I really should. Um, If I would have planned properly, I definitely would have listened to the audiobook in preparation for this because I like I like comparing the original source material to, Mm -hmm. you know, the adaptation. So let's go into that. You know, how for you that how well of an adaptation is this? And then maybe talk about some of the other versions that you've seen and you liked and don't like. As an adaptation, I feel like this gets the spirit of the story more than the story, because there's a lot that they leave out. Which, I mean, most adaptations do that. You have to fit it into the time frame you have. So they did a good job in capturing, I guess, the magic of Alice in Wonderland. The, mm-hmm. you, you, feel, you feel like you're getting the story, even though if you're, if you're going through the book as you're watching the movie, they've added things, they've switched things around. They've added scenes from Through the Looking Glass, which is the sequel to Alice in Wonderland, the next book. They've 
mashed it up a little bit, but most versions do that. So it's fine. As an adaptation, they do a good job. But as a an extremely book accurate, faithful adaptation, it's probably would be a bad job. Mm-hmm. But I think that's fine. Like, I used to be the kind of person who is like, if it's not book accurate, I don't want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's more like, do they do a good job in telling a story and do they capture a good version of the story? Like, do they do mm-hmm. a good job in what they wanted to do? And I think this does, even if it's not super book accurate. They get enough good scenes from the book and they weave it together in a way that makes almost a little bit more sense than the book. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they just do a really good job in making it into a movie. A, a lot better than some people because I've seen <laughs> a lot of versions that there's some really <laughs> bad versions up there. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> this is one of the best. This is really one of okay. the best. Are some of the bad versions from the 20s and the 30s oh, 40s yeah. 50s yeah okay <laughs> the there's some that the costumes are just creepy you've watched old silent films i'm sure uh-huh. some of like they'll wear masks and the masks are just so off-putting they're just there's one white rabbit in particular that i have in my head it's just so disturbing like if you saw that thing in the woods <laughs> it <was> just <laughs> really creepy like at early alice in wonderland if you put the right soundtrack to it, it could be a horror movie. <laughs> There's actually one version where the Duchess, which is a character that's left out of the Disney version, comes at Alice with an axe. And it's really disturbing. There's a, there's a line in the book that says, speaking of axes, off with her head. So they decided to take that literally and have the Duchess come after Alice with an axe. I believe that's the 1931 version, which is one of the worst oh, gosh. versions out there. There's so much creepy imagery in that one. It's not all, it's not like not creepy on purpose, but they needed a better costume designer <laughs> and a better scriptwriter. <laughs> so why do we think that this book and this property is so iconic and it continually gets remade and especially in the early days of cinema? You know, what about Alice in Wonderland that that makes people want to constantly go back to this story? I think a lot of it has to do with how imaginative it is. And yeah, for sure. There's there's a lot of theories as to why it's been so popular. But like in the Victorian era, I've heard that most literature for children was just like books of morals and how children should be properly behaved. And it just wasn't that fun. And this Mm -hmm. was just a little girl having a weird adventure. And kids love that. Yeah, yeah, It, it is a lot of fun. So let's let's jump into it. Let's talk about it. You know, so. One thing that I really like about this movie is from the very beginning, it really just jumps off and gets you into the story. It really doesn't spend a lot of time setting up Alice. I think very quickly you understand who she is and her character. She's this young girl. She has a bit of a, you know, like a governess or a nanny. It's her sister. I'm not sure what if it's even said in the movie, but in the book, it's her sister. Okay. So an older uh, sister in this case giving her her lessons mm-hmm. and you know she's not having it she's falling asleep she's having this daydream and she's really you know if i had a world of my own and she sings that that song Cats and rabbits. Is, is very sweet <laughs> i i've heard mm-hmm. this song multiple times over my uh going through all the songs series and (laughs) it has been so many years since i've actually watched this movie that i forgot even the context of how it worked in but 
it yeah. was just like, oh yeah, that's what it all means. <laughs> like oh, yeah. the, something fell and I was like, oh good. Okay. I get it now. This section, I really liked how they had the opening credit song and it was, it had like actual opening mm-hmm. credits and you had a lot of um, like mm-hmm. Mary Blair art in there and just really cool mm-hmm. art that went along with it. And they're, this is one of the very last song or one of the last movies that they actually did the opening section. I wouldn't, well, I don't know. I can't say, I can't substantiate that, but it's one of the few movies that they had. <laughs> nice qualifier. Yes. <laughs> it's one of the few movies that they've been able to have that opening credit sequence before it switched over to uh, having the credits at the end. And it was, I think that that was one of the things that, For me, I felt like it really jumped into the story super quickly where I I felt like I was a little bit like, wow, they just didn't waste any time with that at all. Mm -hmm. Like She goes from just like, oh, singing about cats and rabbits and then falling down a rabbit hole, like within the first minute of the film. And I'm like, whoa, Mm -hmm, okay, mm -hmm. we're we're just popping right down in the book. I think it's paragraph two when the rabbit shows up. So it's from the book that it goes it goes right into it. Okay. There's pretty much no nothing in the real world. She's just immediately following the rabbit and right down the hole. I like it. It it forces you just, okay, here we are. Here's Uh this world. Mm -hmm. I liked the multiplane camera entrance. I thought that was very cool. Not as good as in Pinocchio, but still very nice. So follow the right rabbit. Is this where we can like talk about conspiracy theories? Because <laughs> go go for it, Chelsea. <laughs> well, I just think it's really interesting how that became a thing, and I really don't know if it was if that phrase "following the right following the white rabbit" being associated with conspiracy or other other narrative type talk i guess it was probably from the matrix where that really got its thing but i was wondering if you guys knew did that come from this i'm not really sure i've not seen the matrix (laughs) i i saw part of it on tv years ago i haven't seen the whole thing i'm not sure like where the phrase came from and why it's like down the rabbit hole i'm not sure why that's tied into conspiracy theories unless it's just like from people who don't believe in conspiracy theories, because once when she follows the white rabbit and goes down the rabbit hole, she's just in a world's nonsense. So <laughs> that's the only connection that I can make is like if you go down the rabbit hole and get tied up into conspiracy theories, you just find a bunch of nonsense. So I don't know. Right. I just Googled this. So it says, follow the white rabbit meaning. And Google um, says, following the white rabbit. This is from learningenglish.vonews.com. Following the white rabbit means following an unlikely clue and finding yourself in the middle of an extraordinary situation. This situation often challenges your beliefs and changes your life. The white rabbit is so curious, so strange that Alice cannot help but to follow him. So Hmm. I'm going to have to look into that deeper as far as like, where did the, the meaning come from? But it's definitely made its way into common vernacular even today when you're like, oh, I fell mm-hmm. down a, a YouTube rabbit hole. <laughs> I ha- that happens almost all the time for me. <laughs> mm. If you're on YouTube, you're falling down a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Every time I record a podcast, I, I, we end up going down a rabbit hole of a rabbit trail of different 
things that we didn't mean to talk about. <laughs> That's how you know it's a good one, right? Yes. Cora says, this isn't the top one, but I think it might sound good. It says, it comes from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. Alice's strange journey begins when she sees a white rabbit wearing a waistcoat and speaking English and decides to follow him down his rabbit hole. The phrase, follow the white rabbit, means to follow an idea or concept which may lead to a strange place. There are those who believe that the white rabbit is a metaphor for psychedelic drugs. And for some people, the phrase follow the white rabbit means let yourself go and experience the mind opening power of psychedelics. This was uh, popularized by Jefferson Airplane in their famous 1967 song, White Rabbit. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just it's so uh, canonized within our soul, our culture this follow the white rabbit thing, you know? So I just, I find mm -hmm. it very fascinating how that has come to create such a, a Lewis Carroll has definitely made a place for himself in history with just having a white rabbit. Mm -hmm. Well, the original book came out in in 1865 and obviously is a huge, uh, one of the best known works of Victorian literature. And as a result, I feel like because it's one of the top, it's been around for so long. It was just so popular that it's, you know, all, a lot of its ideas made their way into pop culture, other liter pieces of literature and art, and and, and it was incredibly influential. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's all I have as far as conspiracy theory. But, <laughs> oh, like, but that is like a, it has been linked also to conspiracy theories of like, oh, if you check this out, then that will, if you yeah, then you're down yeah. the rabbit hole of this whole right. new world, for sure. <laughs> Flat Earth, anyone? <laughs> right. Any of those. Like, you could on any, it's like, wow, there's this whole... Way of thinking. Group yeah. of people, yeah, and way of thinking that is just, um, I, I didn't know existed, and I didn't, I, why? <laughs> so, yeah. yep, 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 yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good times, good times. So, you know, initially, the very first thing that I think of is, so Alice is voiced by Catherine Beaumont, and she's also the voice of Wendy, and her voice is just so appealing. I don't know what type of British accent she has, but it is fabulous. Is, or is it like, is it an, an old American accent? You know, when there's like this weird, there was this weird time, like, okay, Americans were once British. So we used to speak British mm -hmm. English, but over time we became a bit hillbilly and we developed our <laughs> own way. And so there had to have been a middle period. And I feel like that's the forties and the fifties and the twenties and the thirties, like that era. When you listen to old news, people talk and people on the radio, they just had this it's called the Mid-Atlantic accent, I believe. The mid thank you. It's a slightly more refined American accent. And so, okay, so so she you, she's like an American Bostonian, high-class Bostonian. Okay. <laughs> I, I just kind of assumed it was some sort of British because she also does Wendy. Mm -hmm. I think, it, I, I don't know that it's her true accent, but I know well, a lot says, of... So she was born in London, England, UK. So, so it it could it could be like a fusion okay. accent. Mm. Okay. Uh, but I know a lot of people would specifically put on the mid-Atlantic accent for film. Right. Like it was a thing. Mm -hmm. Like it was just how people were, quote unquote, supposed to sound right. uh -huh. on radio and TV and film. Yeah. It's like then. when you watch any newscast, they all sound exactly the same. They all yes. have the, yes, yes exactly. 
We never change. <laughs> <laughs> this is the professional speak, you know. Mm-hmm. I was actually surprised to see that she really hadn't done she hadn't done much else after this. After this and after Peter Pan, she has just a handful of credits. She's actually still wow. alive, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's done she did like an old grandma character in Kingdom Hearts, but other than that, you know, she didn't really go on to have this huge career. But I think you definitely can say that she is iconic for voicing these two characters. Yes, oh, yeah. definitely Wendy. She that's the first one that came to my mind when I hear her. Uh, but just because I think Peter Pan is more accessible, mm-hmm. um, and so Alice in Wonderland is more what less known for sure. When I in in both of the films, she is you know calling out and she says you know like Peter yeah. please and in in Alice in Wonderland <laughs> I noticed multiple times she was yelling at someone that please please <laughs> like oh I love it <laughs> the crossovers <laughs> yes <laughs> she does have a great voice it's perfect so we've fallen down the rabbit hole and you get to this point where she's in this big room the white rabbit goes through a door and so now she has to open the door which leads to another door which you did another day and we'll put that in a bigger box and a small, bigger box and then we'll <laughs> smash it with a hammer. And to the point where she is uh, talking face to face with the door knocker, uh, door lock. And he's a funny guy. Like anything is possible, but you are not passable. <laughs> I was like, all right. This character was made up just for this movie. There is no doorknob in the original okay. book, but I feel like. <laughs> They captured the spirit of Lewis Carroll perfectly in this character because he, all of his dialogue, it's very punny. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of puns in Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Just the way he talks mm-hmm, about things mm-hmm. being impassable. It's so perfect and it feels so natural, even though it's just it's not from the book. They did a great job making up a new character for themselves. Interesting. Nice. I feel like also they use this character to make this scene flow a lot more smoothly than probably even the book. Because in the book, she finds the drink me bottle and the eat me cake, grows and shrinks. And it's all just kind of happening. And then when she's huge, she cries the the pool of tears and then shrinks and she's in a completely different location. But with this doorknob character that they've added in, I feel like... With him telling her things and then opening his mouth and basically swallowing her as she's floating down the river of her own tears. It makes the scene flow so much better than any other version that I can think of right now. Because most of the time, it almost, I mean, not that Alice in Wonderland needs to make sense, but it almost doesn't make sense. Because she, a lot of times, she cries when she's huge and then she shrinks again and there's like, there's not really a noticeable pool of tears and then she's just kind of in an ocean. Mm-hmm. There's there's no real continuity. And I feel like they probably added this character to for that purpose, just to make everything just flow together a lot smoother. And I think it does a really great job tying together each bit of the story that didn't really go together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. No, it and having not known that, this it definitely does make it smooth. And flawless. And I actually really enjoy this character. And I think one thing that I really enjoy with this movie in general is the dialogue. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it does come back from the original source material. And it's very witty and it's clever. And even though some things are really wonky and off the wall, it's very smart. 
Yes, that's one of the things that it makes Alice in Wonderland popular, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People love the word play. Mm-hmm. I would also like to read the book. I, I should have done that. But we were recording a lot of things today. <laughs> so I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> well, you have me, the Alice in Wonderland expert, to explain Perfect. to you. <laughs> yes, yes. See, just embrace the title. Just embrace it, Jonathan. <laughs> you are the expert. So at this point, she is in her uh, medicine bottle floating down the river of her own tears. And she ends up in the ocean next to the dodo. Enter the dodo. This scene is way different than the book. This is one of those that they really changed. And a lot of times I, I don't mind the change. This one I think they could have done a little bit better on because... The scene. This is the caucus race scene, and this is this is one of those where it's just weird, hilarious, a lot of wordplay. The point of the caucus race was to dry off, and it didn't start with them running. He started by telling them a very dry story. The, mm-hmm. the, actually, in the beginning of the movie, when her sister is reading that stuff that is so boring, that's what the dodo was telling the group of animals. He was reciting all of this stuff, and it was to dry them off because it was a very dry speech. A more wordplay there. Interesting. And it doesn't work, and that's when they start running. I do like the song in this scene, but they really shortened this up, and I think they took away what was funny about the scene, but it's not a it's not a huge deal. I think I understand why they did it, because it is kind of boring, but that's the point of it, and it's funny that it's boring. But they wanted to do a song, I guess. And that's that's something else. It's about the movie. Yes. I, I feel like I've heard that this movie has the most songs of any Disney movie. It's a lot. And it's probably because of scenes like this where it's just like a micro song. It's just yeah. there's so many yeah. tiny songs that are just like 10 seconds long. This one's a little right. longer than 10 seconds. But yeah, it's one of those where they've shortened up the scene but they've done it with a song and it works. It's fine. I prefer the original, but this is fine. Yeah. How do you feel about these? I like what you call them little micro songs. Does that make these songs iconic and timeless because they're so short or does it make it where they're kind of forgotten? Forgotten. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like a lot of them, but they are so short that you just, you kind of forget that they even happened. Yeah. And that's why I think a lot of people are surprised to hear that this is the one movie with the most songs because it doesn't seem like it. right yeah if you were to think of okay songs in alice in wonderland go you know unbirthday yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> unbirthday, and, and alice be, in wonderland world of my own the golden afternoon maybe pa- maybe painting the roses red yeah yeah i'm late yeah, i'm late yeah. for a very important date <laughs> there's a few that interesting yeah i totally agree they're iconic in the fact that they are classic to this film yeah but it's hard to they're, they're not your, ones your that are going to be on the on the top twenty five best of Disney songs. Exactly. Yeah, you're not you're not taking a whole new world um, from its pedestal for sure. Yeah, <laughs> they might be on the top twenty five most quoted songs though. Some of them definitely. Painting the roses red is one that's it can just get stuck in yeah. your head. Yeah, and then also I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. No time to say hello, yes. goodbye. I'm late. I'm late. Late. I've definitely quoted that song, and I've definitely quoted mm-hmm. the unbirthday song. So, oh, Pity yes, the Rose of Red, Unbirthday, and I'm Late, I'm Late, I'm Late. I feel like those three songs are probably the most quoted, definitely of this movie, 
uh, but also I've definitely heard them all over the place. Unbirthday, for sure, have sung that randomly. Um, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's my unbirthday today. <laughs> right. So these are these have definitely come into our day to day vernacular. Mm-hmm. Okay. The you have the point where they're talking about uh, Walrus and the Carpenter. I was always like so freaked out about this song. <laughs> like it tormented me as a kid because it was just so ravaging. Like the the guy was unfeeling completely, and he just killed these children. <laughs> I was like, what just happened? That that's slightly different than the book. This is actually from Through the Looking Glass. Oh, okay. Tweedledee and Tweedledum are through the, from Through the Looking Glass, and this whole song was a poem that they told Alice, and they did change that slightly because. Even though the walrus ate the oysters, he did feel kind of bad about it. <laughs> and that was pointed out huh. in the book. And Alice said <laughs> that she liked the walrus best because he felt a little bad about eating the oysters. And Tweedledee and Tweedledum said something like, well, he ate as many as he could and he hid he hid how many he was eating from the carpenter so he could eat more. <laughs> and then she said something like, well, I don't like either of them. <laughs> yeah. I think Tweedledee and Tweedledum are, are also extremely memorable. Yeah, they're kind of iconic Alice in Wonderland characters. And it's kind of funny because they're not even from Alice in Wonderland. They're from the Through the Looking Glass. But they always get stuck in versions of Alice in Wonderland. And I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I want to say that started with the Disney version. Because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of stuff that the Disney version did that other versions have to do later on. Like Wizard of Oz and Ruby Slippers instead of Silver Shoes. Right. It's one of those things where people watch a specific version and then they get attached to certain things. Right. So Tweedledee and Tweedledum usually end up in any version, even though they're from the sequel book. Yeah. Hmm. The Father Williams song. I understand why she left at that one. <laughs> that, that is, <laughs> the, the Father Williams song is... Another poem from the book, and that one's actually by the Caterpillar. Mm. The Caterpillar is the one who recites that with Alice. And it's when you read it, it's very witty and wordplay and strange. And I like the poem. There's actually a version that's done. I think it was done for a Disney Mania album by We Might Be Giants. Classy. <laughs> which is which is very strange. Do you remember the Disney Mania series, the CDs? Yes. I loved those things. And that that was... Or wait, was it Disney Mania? Maybe it was for when the 2010 Alice came out. Either way, I always loved when they would put together a song based on a little known, a little known mm-hmm. Disney song. Like I was always ticked off when there'd be another "When You Wish Upon a Star." I was like, "We've had so many mm. versions of When <laughs> You Wish Upon a Star. <laughs> Why Stop can't it. we get something more strange?" Like I loved when they put the monkey's uncle. On uh-huh, one of them, nice. because uh-huh. nobody covers that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I, I love that we might be giants. Did Father William? <laughs> such a random thing for a modern day pop band yeah. to do. So after this, she travels and finally finds the rabbit's cottage, and he is calling out to and calling her Marianne, which was interesting. Who is Marianne? Marianne is his maid, and it's never explained why he thinks that Alice is Marianne. Right. Maybe Alice kind of just looks like Marianne, and the rabbit is nearsighted or something. I don't know. But he thinks that she's his maid. Interesting. Yeah, because he, he just keeps 
saying that, but then it's never resolved at the end. And it's not really important. We just know he's mistaking her for someone else. Just thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. There's actually like, a, a graphic novel that tells the story of Marianne. Oh, nice. You see? Man, there's a spinoff for everyone. Even Marianne. <laughs> yes. Marianne finally got her day in the sun. <laughs> yes. That's great. I mean, this was also a point where Alice really goes to show you you shouldn't eat things off of other people's plates or tables or anything like that because she's like, oh, cookies, I don't mind if I do, and then ends up growing to be bigger than the house. Like, okay, these are good lessons to learn, kids. <laughs> don't eat other people's stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I, I like that she t- gives herself the little pep talk about not drinking poison. <laughs> But she still, she still drinks the bottle anyways, which that's from the book, too. It, but it just makes me laugh that she rationalizes it to herself and then drinks it anyway. Oh, God. <laughs> that's great. But the dodo and the lizard come back. And apparently the lizard's name is Bill. And I was like, this lizard looks vaguely, like, oddly familiar. Is this the same lizard from the Great Mouse Detective? And I look it up. Yes, yes, it is. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. Technically, the Great Bill. Mouse Detective is the same lizard from oh, Alice right. in Wonderland. Touche, touche, touche. In the book, this is not the dodo. They've replaced a character with the dodo to bring him back. There's a character called Pat, who is a gardener, who takes the place of the dodo. And this is one of those scenes where they've changed a lot. From the book and again not that alice in wonderland needs to make sense but i feel like they've made this scene make more sense than in the book because mm-hmm. in the book it's eventually the rabbit's idea to burn his own house down uh-huh. <laughs> and i'm always like why do you want to burn your own house i mean i know there's this giant thing in your house that you don't want in there but like he after exhausting not every idea that you could have come up with he decides well just got to burn the house down <laughs> I thought it made a lot more sense to have somebody else suggest that and the rabbit freak out about the idea. I, yeah. And I like this. I like the scene between them. I think it's a, very funny. <laughs> oh, well, you and gotta do it yourself. I, I just, I like it better than <laughs> he just decides, well, gotta burn the house down. <laughs> That's gotta be a very expensive <laughs> budget. To <laughs> Every day I have to build a new house to make sure that I have a place. I, I also like this scene because it does the growing and even in the the first scene, the growing and the shrinking in this movie is done so much better than any other version that I've seen, partly because animation is the perfect medium for this. But I've seen a bunch of animated versions where it's just it's so boring when she grows and shrinks. It's just like <laughs> grow, shrink. This is so dynamic. And the, when she grows inside his house, like her leg is shooting down the stair. It's so interesting to watch and you don't get that in very many other versions they really put a lot of imagination into when she grows and shrinks in this movie which so many other versions it feels like they they do the most boring version of growing and shrinking and Mm -hmm. i I love how they've done it in this one good to know good old walt disney yeah he was the genius (laughs) yeah there's so much imagination in this version that's one of the reasons Mm -hmm. why it's one of my favorite versions of alice in wonderland yeah it's beloved we go on to one that always stood out in my mind, which is the the different flowers. So she she heads into, you know, the flowers and there's the, they sing the song Golden Afternoon. One thing that I notice, particularly in this scene, is you can very much see Mary Blair's influence yeah. mm-hmm. so strongly, um, almost direct from her concept art. So many scenes. If you ha- if you've ever um, purchased one of the Mary Blair art books or even just looked up 
type in Mary Blair, Mary Blair Disney concept art, just a ton will show up. She did a ton for Peter Pan. Very, she did a, a lot for this movie. Mm-hmm. She probably has probably the most from this movie and a few other movies, but it, just the colors are so striking and, and dynamic. And like I was saying, basically like they took her concept art and they just made it into a cell, which I thought was really cool. And something that I guess I never really noticed before, cause I don't really watch this movie very much. And I really, really enjoyed, enjoyed that. And the backgrounds are just so beautiful. Yeah, this is a great scene. It's another one that is not from Alice in Wonderland. It's from Through the Looking Glass. And I think it makes perfect sense that they would incorporate this into this version. And this is one that I don't think a lot of versions do. There are some versions that are just of Through the Looking Glass. So I've seen a few different versions of this. But this is one of the ones that does it the best and looks the Mm -hmm. best. Because a lot of times it's either a weird puppet or somebody in a costume and it doesn't look very good. (laughs) But I love the designs of these flowers. They make them look like actual flowers and then they figure out how to make the flower Mm -hmm. move like a person and still look like the flower that it's supposed to be. The white rose is really cool. Mm -hmm. And even all the roses, how they how they shaped all of the lines to make a face through the mm-hmm. center. I thought that was really pretty. I love the little baby one. The bud. That's like, <laughs> yes, the bud. Like, face I think she's I pretty. Think she's, I think she's pretty, yeah. And they call like, her a weed. And, Kids are the best. Like, Man, these, these ladies are savage. <laughs> she's yeah. a weed. I mean, compared to how beautiful they are, I mean, she is like, what, what on earth is she? That's true. (laughs) There's a version of through the looking glass with this scene. And I, it's kind of strange because it's one that they don't look like flowers. They're like ladies in dresses Mm -hmm. and they're like the most snobby stuck up ladies. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's interesting. This movie just, Alice is just led um, from scene to scene to scene. Yeah. Um, there's really not a lot of transition time where she's meandering about. It's, it's just like she enters one stage, you know, and, and exits another one and she enters, you mm-hmm. know, and so very quickly she's here with the caterpillar. Um, and it's just another like check, another chapter, another chapter, another chapter. Yeah, that's kind of, kind of from the book. Are mm-hmm. you? I think this caterpillar is the reason why everybody associates this strictly with drugs probably because <laughs> he's just over there with his crack pipe you know just like it's not a crack pipe it's i know <laughs> chelsea know your drugs come on <laughs> but as a kid like i was when people said it was you know everybody was like on drugs when they did this movie and i was like Oh, like the the caterpillar that's obviously obviously that's why <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I'm not an expert on Victorian culture, but I think it was kind of a fad to use hookahs. Mm -hmm. I know there was a lot of, because of like the British, I guess, takeover of of India. Of India. There was a lot of stuff that was going back and forth between the two countries. And I think that's probably where the hookah came from. Interesting. That's cool. So she grows. He tells her to take the mushrooms and the, and mushrooms. (laughs) That's the other reason why. But she takes the mushrooms and she's got one that is for growing and one that is for shrinking and puts them in her pockets for later. Um, and the next one, she grows up really big and assaults the, the bird. <laughs> <laughs> the, this scene, I love that they included this scene because 
I've seen so many versions of Alice in Wonderland. This is one of those scenes that almost is never included, but it's probably because if you look at the original illustrations and read the story, it, it looks almost disturbing. And they took away the disturbing element because in this particular instance of growing, her neck is what grows. Her oh, neck gosh. shoots oh. up above the trees. And that's why the bird thinks she's a serpent. Got and, it. And they don't include that in this, which to me, it makes no sense for the bird to be screaming that she's a serpent because she doesn't look like a serpent. She looks like a giant girl. That's interesting. That is so funny. That, that would have made more, way more sense. That yeah. would have turned this to the super wacky territory. <laughs> yeah. For the most part, Alice stays pretty neutral. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. She's not the one who, I, other than shrinking and growing um, uniformly, mm -hmm. <laughs> everyone else around her is wackadoo. Yeah. yeah. In, in and the, that would have just taken it maybe to a different level that obviously they didn't want to go. In the first scene in the Hall of Doors, in the book, I believe she grows disproportionately once. I don't remember which, I think like her hands grow huge and maybe she gets a longer, not this long, but a longer neck in this scene. Because there's one illustration that I'm thinking of that she has a long neck, but it's not quite as disturbingly long as in this scene. <laughs> So it's this isn't the only scene where she's growing strangely, but it for the most part it's supposed to be growing and shrinking uniformly. Gotcha. Yeah, if you type in long neck Alice into Google, um prepare for some nightmares because <laughs> that is Yeah, I, I don't like it. Um moving on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I have to sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> now we get to I arguably the most famous character of the film or of any of Lewis Carroll's yes. characters, which is the Cheshire cat. You can even look at phases of the moon where people are like, oh, it's the Cheshire cat smile. You know, it's mm -hmm. just really thin, long thing. And like he's just so prevalent in so many different things that I don't even think I would have recognized until like watching this and be like, oh yeah. And I can't count, but off the top of my head, I can think of at least three church devotional type <laughs> talks that I've heard that mention this quote directly of what road do I take? Ask, the cat asked, where do you want mm -hmm. to go? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Alice answered. Then the cat said, it really doesn't matter, does it? And I've heard that multiple times <laughs> and i mean that's a great quote <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of great quotes in alice in wonderland like there's so much that purposely doesn't make sense but there's stuff in there that it's like little nuggets of wisdom and hilarity that are just mm -hmm, really mm -hmm. really stick in your mind this is one of them yeah i think this character like you said chelsea is one of the most memorable he just because his lines are so iconic and they're so thought-provoking um, that yes, he's on his, on the surface, just totally, I'm going to say it again, wackadoo and crazy. <laughs> and, I mean, he's disappearing and he's appearing in his head and he's standing on his head and he's doing this and that, but he's very self proclaimed. Insightful. He's mad. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Self-proclaimed crazy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take your word for it. If somebody tells you that they're mad or crazy, just believe them. Just okay. believe them and walk the other way. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, but just very expertly done. And I was looking to see, you know, obviously this is the height of the nine old men. And I was seeing who w animated this. And it was Eric Larson and also John Lounsbury. They were mostly who had worked on the Cheshire Cat. 
There you go. And this is one of the best versions of the Cheshire Cat. There's there's so many disturbing versions in so many versions of Alice in Wonderland. They did such a great job with him. I love the animation of him disappearing. The fact that yes. he kind of fades out, but his stripes are still there, and then they like spiral away. So creative. Yes. They put so much thought into things that weren't like explicitly described, like mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. just disappears and parts of him stay behind. But they've done it in such a way that it looks really cool instead of disturbing. Like there's one old version of Alice in Wonderland where it's obviously a person in a costume. And <laughs> to to have them disappear, they put the costume's head on a branch. <laughs> so it's just this <laughs> dead looking head sitting on a branch of a tree. <laughs> oh, that's there, great. There are so many ways that the Cheshire Cat can go wrong. And they yeah. did everything right in this version. So off we go to the mad tea party. And instantly, once you hear this music, I just think Disneyland. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It's so iconic. Um, It's like we were saying, it's like one of these songs that is not going to make anyone's top 25, not not even make their top 50 list. But when you hear it, you know it and you love it. Yeah. The unbirthday song is I love the song. I I don't want I want to say it's one of my favorite Disney songs, but I know there's others that are like technically uh-huh. better but this is one of the most memorable and the ones one of the ones that it's an idea that you go back to like your unbirthday like i don't even think that's from the book i think that's something that was added for this movie <laughs> but it's another one of those things that's just so iconic and memorable that it kind of became more than the movie like people uh-huh. can talk about an unbirthday without referencing Alice in Wonderland because it's just funny <laughs> like every mm-hmm. day except for your birthday is your unbirthday and it's just a funny little reference that has kind of grown beyond the movie I think mm-hmm. yeah yeah we should also talk about Edwin because he's he's the greatest I remember uh, yes I remember watching Mary Poppins when I was a kid and thinking that's the Mad Hatter <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. His voice is so, so iconic. It's, well, I don't know if iconic is the right word, It's but it's so distinct. Memorable, yes. Yeah. And you're just, you hear it and you're like, oh, that's him. I, every time he shows up in something, I, I just love it. And now you have Alan Tudyk, who who will do versions of his voice for different characters, mm, uh-huh. kind of keeping his him alive in a way. I, I love I love his voice. It's so great. I mean, if it works, why do you have to come up <laughs> right. with something else? Like, hey, he, his voice is great. I'm just going to yoink that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Alan Tudyk is so funny. Like one of my favorite videos of like behind the scenes for him is he's doing the chicken in Moana. Mm-hmm. And he's just doing these chicken sounds. And he's just like, I went to Juilliard for this. <laughs> <laughs> he's so great. I, I love that they keep bringing him back. Like he's their lucky charm or something. He just, he has to have a little bit part in every movie. I love looking for him. He's like the Stanley cameo of Disney movies now. And I'm sure he, he loves it too. Of course. <laughs> I myself would be a huge fan of that. Yes. So there is this iconic question of why is a Raven like a writing desk? And I had to look it up. Because it can produce a few notes, particularly if its name is Lewis Carroll, the answer lies in the quill. Both may be penned, but they can never truly be captive. 
When Lewis Carroll originally wrote the line, he didn't have an answer. It was another thing where it was just supposed to be some nonsense, but people kept writing to him and asking for an answer. Like, we need to know. So he eventually (laughs) made up the answer after the fact. But lots lots of people have come up with answers to it afterwards. My favorite is because Poe wrote on both. (laughs) Which is just the perfect little pun. Writing on a desk and writing (laughs) on a raven. (laughs) Right. Nice. I like it. So they go into this, the through the Tugly Wood. Tulgy Wood. Tulgy Wood. That I believe that's a line from the Jabberwocky poem, and that's from Through the Looking Glass. So you have all these creatures that are creepy. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is another thing where the Disney animators just went wild, because most of these things are not in the book. And if they are in the book, they're only mentioned and not described. Like, there are momraths in the book, but there's no idea what they are. Just They're a line in the poem, and the momraths outgrow. Whatever mm-hmm. that means. So they just kind of went wild with their imagination. And I love these creatures. They're very weird. But there are some that are like the little hammerhead birds are adorable. And I want one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the greatest. You know what? For your birthday, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> My birthday is very close. It's May 30th. Ooh. All oh, right. nice. Wait, what did you say again? It was the, the little hammerhead, hammerhead birds. birds. Yes. Okay. I, I don't know that you'll be able to find one because that's, that's so random. I mean, I've never looked. Maybe there is one somewhere. <laughs> don't you worry. I am the queen of Google. I can make it happen. I mean, if nothing else, I'm sure somebody's <laughs> created a 3D printer version something. Oh, that's true. I, yeah, I've never thought to look. I just love them. They're so cute. <laughs> Well, in this section, she's seeing she gets overwhelmed by everything, because at this point in time, I mean, I would be overwhelmed as well. I probably would have been overwhelmed much sooner than this. (laughs) (laughs) And she starts singing this very good advice song, which I do like it. You know, I love when people give me advice through song. It just, you know, if, if maybe I'll put up my walls if they tried to give me advice normally. But when you sing it to me, it's like, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. Huh. <laughs> he lied to us. He lied through, us through, through song. I hate when people do that. Uh, yes. <laughs> so I, I went on to the page on YouTube and there are a lot of comments on this song basically saying that they all cry when they hear this song. And hmm. it didn't happen for me when I was listening to it, but it, I was surprised to see how many people were like, I cry when this song comes on every time. This is the first or this is the first time I've been back to this movie in a long time. And I just listened to the words and I just started crying. And I'll, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of emotion connected to this. So very good advice. Sometimes I give myself very good advice, but I don't always follow it. Oh, I never really thought about it being an emotional song. I mean, I guess she is crying, but it never <laughs> yeah. struck me as something that could make someone watching it cry. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, the same thoughts came out of my head. Um, <laughs> at this point, the Cheshire cat comes back. And I thought it was interesting that Alice talks to the cat as though he's someone to trust. When he's clearly told her he is mad. (laughs) (laughs) Granted, he's the only one talking to her. So, I mean, and she's probably like 10. So, you know, you're going to believe people that are talking to you. Okay. 
But she does not look seven in this version. She doesn't no. look seven in... Ver There's hardly any versions where she looks seven. I mean, in this version, I would say ten. What are your guys' thoughts? I... Yeah, ten to twelve. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, that's... Yeah, I would say ten to twelve. But yeah, the cat, yes, he's not technically trustworthy, but like, of everyone she's met so far, I guess he's the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's her best option. <laughs> Clearly can't trust the Mad Hatter and March Hare. Most of the people she has met along the way, she can't trust. Yeah. This is not a happy place to be for her, as even though it's a, the place in her dreams. It's just, yeah, she's she's not doing too well. <laughs> but he does open the door through the tree I to go to where he's like, the hey, Queen's Garden. Yeah. <laughs> I love shortcuts. Great. <laughs> and then Painting the Roses Red, which is also an iconic song from this song. From this movie. Iconic. Yes. I've, I've, the, the, this scene is in a bunch of versions, but this is like the best one, probably because of the song, because the song is just such an earworm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also the animation in this is so cool. The, the When the other cards come in, it, uh -huh. I was thinking, this is such shades of pink elephants on parade. Yeah. <laughs> It also reminded me of Richard Williams does his card trick scene. And when you actually look at the the card trick scene and it's all done on ones and it's just so intricate and amazing. Um, it kind of reminded me of that, but not quite as like his is blows your mind. But this it I felt like he was looking to this scene specifically when what he was creating that, that one. Persistence of Vision is the documentary, but the co the Thief and the Cobbler. Yes. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that. That's one that's on my list to watch. I haven't seen that movie. It's, I've heard it's amazing. Yeah, it's a good one. Persistence of Vision is the documentary, which is so good and definitely worth your time and energy in looking into it if you're going to watch The Thief and the Cobbler. Because The Thief and the Cobbler was cobbled together at the end very poorly but there are still moments of like expert amazing animation isn't there didn't somebody go back and finish it though i feel like i heard that yeah there's like a because he never finished it and the the production company didn't want to spend any more money on him waiting for him to finish it and so they just sent it to a, another company who cobbled things together and like made up their own versions and added voices to different people and it just made it really weird and bad. But knowing that and like seeing the two side by side, it's crazy. It's cool to see. Nice. So you meet the queen of hearts. I feel like if anybody has a better person to cosplay as, I don't know it. <laughs> I've seen her cosplay many times and there's some that are just amazing. Her outfit is really cool. It's got the the heart on all sides at like cut in different in the black and and red and her just whole style and everything about her is just cool and I can definitely see how so many people love her so much. Oh, and mm -hmm. the king. Hooray. <laughs> Don't forget him. <laughs> I've forgotten that about his introduction and I just that cracked me up so much. The, the, the one little cheer after, yeah. after and the king. <laughs> yeah. She was played by Verna Felton. Oh, Verna. She's done quite a bit. Another I like her voice. Another iconic Disney voice. Mm-hmm. She did Fauna. 
right? And Aunt Sarah. And Aunt Sarah. Mm-hmm. And yes. what was her name? The elephant in Dumbo, the mean one. Mm-hmm. It's kind oh. of funny because I realized a while back her first role for Disney was an elephant and her last role for Disney was an elephant because she also <laughs> played the wife in the Jungle Book. Colonel Hattie. Oh, yeah. yes. Yep, yep, yep. So the Queen of Hearts just pulls that bush out of the ground by her like bare hand. <laughs> and I'm like, I, if there is something oh, more. And the fairy godmother. We can't forget her. Oh, she was. The most iconic for us, probably that. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. But continue about pulling the bush. Yeah, like she pulls (laughs) the bush out of the ground with her bare hand. I'm like, have you ever, like, even tried to touch a rose bush? So many thorns. (laughs) So many thorns. That would be very painful. You know what? This is Wonderland, Chelsea. Mm. Don't worry about it. That's true. Which leads us into the croquet (laughs) game of, like, of tears. I would be so annoyed. That bird is so annoying. And I would I would be fine if that bird lost his head. <laughs> yes. Like... You know, the animation here really shows how annoyed Alice is. Yes. She feels how we feel or we feel exactly how she feels. And, you know, talking about animation, she was actually animated by Mark Davis. And Mark Davis, his friends called him the ladies man because mm-hmm. he had this ability to draw female characters in such an appealing way. So he did Tinkerbell, Cruella de Vil, Maleficent, but he also did Cinderella and Aurora um, in addition to, you know, doing Alice. And so it's just, you know, I think one of the main reasons that this film is so great and is just the way that Alice is animated. She's so expressive. She's so feminine. Uh, and I think Mark Davis, obviously one of the nine old men is, is one of the, the big reasons for that. Yeah. Her expressions you feel, throughout you this feel whole... Alice in this scene. Yeah. Throughout- like, oh my gosh, come on. This is important. I don't want to lose my head. The, she's, she's great through the rest of the movie, like through through everything, through the croquet game, through the trial. The expressions on her face are just great. Mm-hmm. I always love this. Being little, it just made me want to play croquet. <laughs> I will say that this is probably one of the best versions of the croquet scene, because this is another one where it's been done a lot and it's never perfect. Uh-huh. This one, they've added so much of their own style, especially having the one mallet flamingo be extremely annoying. Uh-huh. And I really like this version. There's there's one version that's also very memorable, but for all the wrong reasons, where there are actual live flamingos. <laughs> A very old movie. <laughs> this would not be done today. Oh, gosh. They're actually <laughs> I, using them? <laughs> I don't think they have them flipped upside down, but like they grab them by the necks. <laughs> oh God! I want to say it's the 1933 version. Don't quote me for sure, but there is one somewhere that they use live flamingos in this scene, and I was just like, "Ooh, they would not. That would not be allowed today. That would not fly. <laughs> Peter would be at your doorstep immediately. Uh, yeah." yeah. And enter the Cheshire Cat once again, this... which once again shows me you're you're not her friend. No. <laughs> like, he's mad. He's not, he's not a friend. This this is another scene that they have changed considerably, and I I don't know if I like this better or worse. It's a it's probably like equal to the original story because in the original story he appears as just his head, and then there's this whole back and forth about the queen wants him beheaded, but the the executioner and the queen are having this back and forth about how they can't he can't behead something that has no body to take the head from. 
And then there, she's like, nonsense. Anything that has a head can be beheaded. <laughs> <laughs> so they've changed that into, well, they've changed it specifically so that they can cut out the reason for the trial. Because this whole, the whole end has changed. In the book, the trial is not for Alice. Alice is merely witnessing the trial. The trial is for the Jack, who is barely a character in this. You can see him in the background of one scene. The Jack <laughs> stole the Queen of the Queen's tarts, allegedly. And that's what the whole trial is about. But in this, the Queen has been embarrassed by the Cheshire Cat. And he frames Alice for it. <laughs> so I don't know that he deliberately frames her for it, but he doesn't say anything when the Queen assumes it's Alice. Interesting. With all the stuff that they've changed, it kind of made sense. And it gave them a reason to transition to the trial scene because... Like I said, there's a lot that is cut out of this version, and there's at least two long sequences that are cut out between the croquet game and the trial, because after the croquet game, we, did, we, we didn't even touch on the Duchess. The character of the Duchess is kind of a huge character in the book, and in most versions, it's, it's rare that you find a version that cuts out the Duchess, because the Duchess is such an iconic Alice in Wonderland character, but this one does not have her. So she was not in the original scene, so she's not there to come back. But in the croquet game, the Duchess is there to, when the cat is in the sky and they can't behead it, they call the Duchess back because it's her cat. And so she comes in and then there's this whole long scene that is another scene full of puns and wordplay. And it's really funny to read. And it's. I, it would be interesting to see what Disney car Disney animators could have done with that, but we'll never know. Um, <laughs> and then after that, the queen chases off the duchess and brings her to the griffin and the mock turtle, which are two other characters that have been completely cut. They were almost in this version. I've seen concept art for them, and they're really good concept art for the turtle, especially. There's so many times where the mock turtle looks creepy. <laughs> the Disney version <laughs> would have been very cute. But you have those scenes that, again, it just goes scene to scene without much transition. But having the scene with the cat coming back, transitioning into the trial scene, and then having the trial be about Alice kind of makes more sense from a storytelling point of view. And I totally get why they would want to do that rather than have all this other stuff and then have the trial not even be about Alice. Alice is just there. So from from the Disney perspective i can see why they would want it changed and it makes a lot of sense why alice is the one in trouble interesting it also adds stakes you know yeah learning so much yeah. and it makes it a good you know right after this going into the hedge maze of madness it adds to her want desire to wake up from this whole mm -hmm. nightmare yeah there, there's in the the original story. There is a little bit of stakes, especially after the queen turns on her halfway through the trial, because she eventually accidentally grows. I don't think she eats the mushrooms to grow. I think she just starts growing randomly. It's been a while since I've read that part, so I don't remember for sure. But that's that's about the time when she wakes up. Anyways, is after the queen turns on her, and then you get the you're nothing but a pack of cards line, which is all said in this version. So it's this it's the same ideas and it's the spirit of the story again. They just put their own spin on it. And I liked that they did the whole random 
chase through the hedge maze, which turned into the caucus race, which turned into the tea party, which turned into the pool of mm-hmm. tears, but mm-hmm. it was actually tea. They they did a lot of good callbacks at the end and really mm-hmm. made it seem like really leaning into the dream aspect. Like this is a really weird dream ending with her yelling at her own self. She's looking at herself, yelling to herself to wake up. I liked how they did that at the end. Uh, and she sees herself through the doorknob and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, goodness, it was all a dream. And then they bring back the sister and she's just like, oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they walk through this really pretty area. And I'm like, I would have fall- loved to fall asleep right there. And I, there's like a castle thing in the background. I'm like, is, is she supposed to be in a castle or is that supposed to be like Harvard or something like a, a bell tower say, of some kind? I want to say it's I don't know for sure. I want to say it's. Christchurch, Oxford. Okay, that yeah, that would make a lot more sense. Like, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I'm like a lot of versions do make reference to Oxford because of Lewis Carroll, the and origins. where he worked, mm-hmm. and the original origin of Alice. So I'm I'm gonna guess that's probably what it's supposed to be. I'm gonna go along with that. <laughs> that's really funny because I definitely thought the same thing. I was like, wait, she's a princess. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> like, okay. It's all making sense now. Everyone's a princess in Disneyland. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So that is the end of Alice. Any last thoughts or things that we didn't discuss yet? I do want to give a shout out to the random TV series. I remember growing up. It was, it was a Disney channel something. I think I know what you're talking about. I haven't. <laughs> I vaguely yeah. remember that too, but I haven't gone back to lo- revisit it yet. And I looked it up because I was like, there's there's something that I remember that's just, it was on some random soundstage. Then it had this Alice go back and forth and you had the Mad Hatter and the, the March Hare kind of going back with the tea party thing. And you had like a puppet of the mouse. And then they would have random weird stories that happened during something else. And... The, those are the only main memories that I had of it, but I think it was called. Let me f- I just looked this up. It's called Adventures in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was a 1992 to 1995 American live action slash puppet musical television series, and it shows that it was produced by Walt Disney Television. So I think everything is lining up yes. here for you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this was this is a very one of those movies or one of those shows that I I distinctly remember growing up. I was like, that's weird that that, you know, lives rent free in my mind. <laughs> See, I didn't have the Disney Channel. So this when I look at it, I'm Neither like, did I. Neither I, got, did I, got I. I don't you. know why oh. I remember this. I, I remember that's it. Too. It probably aired reruns on network yeah. TV. Yeah. Because like, there was another Saturday Disney episode. show like Bell. Sing, sing me a story with Belle or something that I also uh-huh. vaguely remember, but I don't know why I remember that. I just know that it aired like super early in the morning on network TV. Yeah, yeah this is probably like a, a 5 a.m. kind of show yeah. on Saturday yeah. morning cartoons. Probably. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Which, why were we up at that point in time? <laughs> I remember getting up because I had to see what was on at that time. <laughs> it was Saturday morning. And I knew all the shows except for the ones before a certain hour. So I needed to see what was happening. <laughs> I specifically remember that Sailor Moon yes. was at 530 in the morning. And I love Sailor Moon. So I would wake up so I could watch it. That was the only time they played it. I'm like, 
Uh, it just doesn't make sense considering how popular Sailor Moon ended up becoming. Yeah. Like, could we have not gotten it, you know, after school? <laughs> right. <laughs> but nope. They were I remember you bigger were, fish to fry. When you were really into that, I also decided, okay, I guess I have to wake up this early in order to watch <laughs> what Morgan keeps talking about. <laughs> the greatest uh since the beginning of our friendship i've i've gotten you to watch what i'm into i love it you've gotten me to watch animation no less yes yeah well no i've i was always into animation it was just no, I like mean, sailor moon is animated oh, anime you, you she was convincing you to watch an animated show right and an, i i would refer to that as an anime as opposed to animation because animation to me is like all-encompassing anime is specific uh, yeah. to that yeah but yeah i i definitely all, for the all things anime that i watch animation but all animation is not anime correct precisely yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. and yeah <laughs> this this is a normal thing <laughs> i apparently i can't make decisions on what to watch on my own <laughs> except for when i need to know what is on at 5 30 in the morning yes. on saturday morning mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting all right so we are going to rate it right now. And Jonathan, we will let you go first. I'm so bad at rating things because I always feel like my ratings change with everything. Like, I feel like when I go to movies, I feel like I leave movies on a post movie high. It's like five stars. And then <laughs> right? a week later, it's like, yeah, maybe it's more like, like three yeah, and that a half. Wasn't that great. <laughs> like, I remember leaving Jurassic World and saying, this is better than the original. <laughs> and then later, I was like, Wait a minute. No, it is. <laughs> Wait a minute. Anyway, yeah, this is like whose line is it anyway? The ratings don't matter at the end of the day. All right. <laughs> yeah. I feel like in my rating is probably going to be based on how many bad versions of Alice in Wonderland I've and seen. I can see how you would do that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like trying to fairly compare it to both versions of Alice and movies in general, I, I don't know if it's too high. I want to give it four stars. I don't know if that's too high or not, but it's. I've seen so many bad versions, and this is the the animation is so great. This is I love the. We didn't even talk about it, like the tea party, the surreal animation with like the teapots and the pouring tea, and there's just so many little details in this movie that you always see something mm-hmm. interesting when you watch it. Like even if you don't particularly love the story, there's still things to enjoy about it that. I don't know. I, I feel like giving it four stars. I don't know. Maybe I'm being generous, but I, I'm going to say four stars. I'm going to go next. I'll give it four stars as well. This wasn't one that I always went to. I was never really a super fan of Alice in Wonderland, but although having watched it, well, actually, yeah, I kind of want to give it four and a half. No, I'll give it four. It's very iconic. It's very classic. And I think there the reason this is so good is because there were so many legends involved. Mm-hmm. Not only is the source material so, so good that that on its own can, you know, make a great film. Although according to you, Jonathan, there have been many attempts and they've done very poorly. So, you know, maybe not so much. It it's really not... depends on the filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we have, you know, obviously Walt Disney involved. We have the nine old men yes, and we have Mary Blair, you know, doing the backgrounds and the, the, the concept art, the production design. And I feel like you can't really go wrong. And Disney really hit a home run with this. And it's no wonder that it is still beloved and well-known and iconic to this day. I feel like the, the legacy of Alice in Wonderland really is in the Disney parks mm-hmm. because, you know, with the, the teacups 
in fantasy land it's just a staple that everyone knows and everyone loves maybe you don't love the teacups but you know just go with me on this it's there it's there <laughs> everyone and knows it yeah so you hear the music when you're walking by and and yeah i just found myself really really enjoying watching this and found that it was uh there were no lulls and it was just a great time throughout i originally as far as like how much did i enjoy this film um just on a straight watch i'm not I would give it like a two and a half star uh, just because I this isn't something that I really uh, am drawn to. But when I consider all of the other things connected to it and how great the animation was and, and looking at it in like a real critical view, I can definitely see how much is played into society and where like what it is for. And all of that definitely pumps up my my score to three stars for me. Wow. Okay. okay. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan, for joining us. I'm so glad we got you on the podcast. Finally, this was such a treat and you are such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> and there's still so many more versions that you need to see. So if you want to check out Jonathan, let it, let people know where they can find you. You find your many podcasts, share all the things. Well, I have two youtube channels for both of my podcasts the original one is youtube.com slash iheartmovies the one that is probably going to be the most interesting to alice in wonderland fans is my podcast every version ever and that is youtube.com slash every version ever nice okay very cool we'll include links to that in the show notes so you can check out jonathan thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the animation addicts and with that, until next time, we are the Rotoscopers. All right. Well, I know you're sleepy. It's been a long day. So thanks so much. I'm glad this actually worked out. I, it's kind of hard with different time zones and when the only time for us to really record is nighttime. Uh, but this worked out great. Yeah, it's. And it's not like I'm that tired. I'm just kind of sort of tired. And it's enough that I forgot what the word executioner was. <laughs> you know, it happens to the best of us. It's it's not. I, hopefully it's not a word that you have in your daily vocabulary. No, so it is, it is you, not. you had to dust a few cobwebs off. It happens. It happens. You've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help spread the word, be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at Rotoscopers on Instagram and use the hashtag Animation Addicts. For all the links and full show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast. Now, if you still can't get enough for your animation fix, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and visit rotoscopers.com for more animation news, reviews, and interviews. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.